Well, y'all, thank you very much for having me here. It's so good to see all of you here and hope to see you also tomorrow. I look forward to this whole discussion. And I call it a discussion. If you want to really have a burning question, feel free to to raise your hand. and I'll try to answer and 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 also keep us on target. Um, The way I want to, first of all, you have some handouts. One of the handouts I gave you was a a poem. If you haven't heard about it, it's, it's an old poem by Rudyard Kipling called The Female of the Species. It's really interesting, and I think that you ought to read it one time or one day, and you'll see how some of what he says will fit into what I'm going to talk about, especially tomorrow. And um, it's really interesting. And then you have another handout, which is a, the passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 2 that we're going to look at in some details today. Let me give you a little introduction of where, where we're headed and what's going to, what's going to go on here. <clears throat> you can use Genesis really in... Two ways, if you think about it. You can use Genesis as a prototype of the rest of the Bible and start at Genesis and start studying the rest of the Bible. You can look at all the seven days of creation and see how they they foreshadow Christ. And Christ really does reflect the fulfillment of all the seven days of creation in some sense. You can look at Genesis chapter 2 and see Adam anticipating the new Adam and the wife, the bride, anticipating the church. You can look at Genesis 3 and see that he's going to cast down the serpent to the ground, promises to crush his head, and then he restores Adam and Eve back together. Uh, There's a little microcosm of redemption, and it's fulfilled even later in the Bible. A lot of theology focuses on a, a helpful, circular reasoning in the book of Genesis, where you look at Genesis and you go back to Revelation, look at Genesis, and you're studying the Bible and you understand theology. And that's not really my intention today or in this conference. We're going to look at Genesis to shine light down on reality. On why does a man function the way he does? Why does a woman function the way she does? Why do they operate this way? Uh, You read psychologists and various things like this. You go to school and they will tell you that We've evolved to become who we are. Um, you know, evolution and all that stuff. <clears throat> and social scientists, people who study the sexes, people who make a living trying to understand how females do, do their thing and males do their thing, will make observations. And what they'll do is a lot of these people are not Christians and they'll label things. Like a, a man will do this, a woman does this, and they'll put names on it. They'll put labels on it. They'll be observing stuff. And what I intend to do today, or not today, but throughout this whole conference, is to show you that sometimes they'll make a good label. They'll make a good observation. And they'll correctly identify a behavior, a behavioral problem in a marriage, a dysfunction in a marriage or something like this, or how to keep a marriage. And they'll have various terms to put on it, which is helpful. But what I want to show you today is why. I want to show you that in Genesis chapter 2, that what God is doing, He is actually determining how a female will function. He is determining how a male will function. There's, and you think, well, how is this? Is it in the, is it in the grammar? Is it in the history? You know, what's going on? How are you interpreting this, Eric? Some of it's in the grammar. Some of it is. But here is the the key to the kingdom 
to see how God is doing this and giving you light to reality. And that is the pattern. It's, it's so beautiful and so important to see that the way God is doing something, the flow of it, the flow of the text, He is doing something in a certain way and He's basically saying, do you get it? Do you see it? This is how I'm doing this and that's why you as a male function the way you do, why you initiate. This is why a female is going to be a responder. The way he does things is what I want to get into, and I call it the Matrix. Okay, I know you've probably all seen the movie, The Matrix and everything, but uh, it's a really helpful term because a matrix is basically a pattern that comes down and it formulates, it dictates, it determines, and how the pattern is set, that is also going to create more duplicates, more and more patterns. What God does in Genesis 2 is, is a pattern of sexuality. And he's also going to put a lot of things together here. I'm going to show you on the chart here. And he is basically teaching humanity, man, this is how you're supposed to function. Woman, this is how you're supposed to function. And this is how we put it together. Put the two pieces of the jigsaw pieces together. And uh, that's my goal. That's what I'm, I'm doing. I'm not, uh, so we're going to use this, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to go through the, the passage and look at the pattern. And what I want to do today is, tonight, I want to lay the foundation. We're going to read the text together. I want to make some drawings on the board. And then what I'm going to do is, is give you a pathway forward for the next three lessons we have. I want to show you the focal points that I want to make on the next three lessons. Um, also, let me introduce this and say it like this. this. What we're going to do here is kind of like going to the doctor. You go to the doctor and he gives you bad news. This may be some bad news, meaning this, oh my goodness, that's what I'm supposed to do? This is, this is where my marriage falls short? This is where my masculinity falls short? This is, this is like showing why I have a problem in my marriage. That's one angle of this. When you see the pattern and what God does, it also it shows us kind of how we fall short. But that's also the good news because, oh, there's corrective ways to improve a marriage, to improve a man, to improve a wife. There's strategies that I'm going to try to share to say, how can I rekindle desire in my wife for me? How can I attract a girl that I want to marry? These are all in the pattern in Genesis chapter 2. When you start thinking and seeing what God is doing in his demonstration, it is giving life to reality. And so all these sexual scientists out there that are sharing with you, you know, game theory and how to pick up girls and all this other stuff because they're studying how women work and they're studying how men work, uh, they may label things right. And they're non-Christian. All these guys are non-Christians. I'm going to give them credit where credit is due. I may say, yeah, this guy, and this is his name, and he had a good diagnosis of how this works. But I'm telling you why he sees it. It's here in Genesis chapter 2, and it's beautiful. Okay, that's where we're going. <clears throat> so let's lay the foundation in Genesis 2. Let's work through the text. I'm going to plow through this. I'm going to draw, and then I'll see you all uh, tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Number one, look at your... Uh, look at your uh, handout. 
I call it the sexual matrix. Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. First of all, it says this in verse 4. This is the offspring of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Right here, that word offspring, some translations say history. That's a horrible translation. Um, It can be generations. But what you see here is heaven and earth, the highest heaven, the highest heaven is up here. And this is a reference to the highest heaven because where does God's breath come from? It comes from the heavens, the highest heavens. It comes down to earth. And here is earth right here. And there is a type of marriage, a type of marriage, or you can call it a kiss. God blow, is going to blow on the ground and create. So you have heaven and earth coming together, and there is a child. There is a child of heaven and earth, and his name is Adam, as you well know. Uh, he is an offspring of heaven and earth. You and I, all of humanity, are we're made of dirt, our flesh, and our soul comes from God. Language comes from heaven. Uh, Adam spoke because this is a gift from God. Language cannot come from earth. Okay, so evolution's wrong. So anyway, the point is you can study that. That's that's another rabbit trail. You can go on forever uh, for a long time. But Adam's a child of heaven and earth. Uh, He's an offspring. There's a a marriage. There's There's a union. But notice this. It's coming down. It's coming down. All right. And there's a... God had already made a lower heaven here, okay? And that's the, um, the lower heaven has the sun and the moon. I'll just pause right there and get to that later. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 5, Every shrub of the field was not yet on the earth. The reason why the shrub is there, mentioned, is because the, the creation is poised like this, waiting to see, is Adam going to obey? If he obeys, there will be no thorns on this shrub. Since he disobeys, the the thorns will will come up and curse him. Every herb of the field has not been sprouted. The herbs came up on day three, but they hadn't sprouted yet. So if he sins, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be hard to get the herbs off off of that fruit. If he obeys, it'll be easy. This is all anticipating the curse and what's going on. The Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. All right? Rain would have come down and blessed Adam just like the rain came down and blessed Israel in the sea, or going through the Red Sea. But no, no rain is going to come down. It's going to be, he's going to be cursed because of the fall. And the only rain you get later is, a, is a, the damnation of, of Noah's flood. It's not about meteorological stuff. It's about a blessing and a curse. The, the world is poised and wondering, is he, the child, going to obey or not? Okay? Now, a spring, verse, verse 6, a spring ascended up from the, excuse me, there was no man, verse 5, there was no man, or Adam, to till the Adama, the ground. Notice this. Adam is made to do work. To do what? To work. The intention that God has is this Adam is going to go back to that ground and work it right there. That's very key important. We're going to see. Verse 6. A spring ascended up from the earth. Some translations say a mist, and that's wrong. The reason why is because in the context of Genesis, what happens is, and this is very important here, everything's very important. 
In the context of Genesis, you have this spring coming up here. It flows downhill, and it comes to a place which God is eventually going to make called a garden. And as it comes to the garden, boom, it starts going more downhill, and it splinters into four directions. And here's what's critical. This garden is a barrier. This garden is a barrier. He's going to put Adam in there. He's going to build the woman in here. And these two individuals here, it's in a barrier. What happens in the barrier has consequences down here. God puts in the starry firmament, this is all part of the sexual matrix, okay? He puts a ruler in the starry heavens and another ruler in the starry heavens. In Genesis chapter 1, both of these rule. The sun is not the only ruler. The moon is also a ruler. Both of them are ruling. And what's happening in the the heavens is a mirror image and it's reflecting what God wants to happen upon the earth. The sun is going to be representative of the man and the man representative of the sun. The moon is going to be representative of the woman and the woman representing the moon. Now let me pause right here and say this. Pastor Eric, where are you getting all this? Twelve years ago, Whenever I was studying Genesis um, in microscopic detail, I was using James Jordan's commentary on it. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. You know, uh, the sun and the moon. And I just, I got, I got the connection. I got the link. There's a barrier here. There's a border here. And then, um, then two years ago, I saw this uh, pagan guy. He's a self-professed pagan named uh, Jack Donovan. And I was watching him a little bit, you know, just seeing what these guys would say. And he starts preaching his solar gospel. He's saying, men got to be like the sun. He gives all these metaphors and all these imageries about the sun. And I was listening, I was like, he's basically saying what James Jordan said. He's basically saying what the Bible's saying. My point is, in saying this, is pagans, non-Christians, they, they look at the, the world and they assess it and they diagnose it and they try to give a, a framework of how to live out in it. But again, it, it breaks my heart. I just wish people like that could say, yeah, it's in the Bible. It's all part of the created order. But they make up stupid superstitions like evolution or something. Um, but I'm, I'm doing all this just in case somebody ever hears this. I'm not plagiarizing uh, you know, Jack Donovan or something. I, I'm getting this from the Bible. I'm getting this from James Jordan, who did a great job on Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and other parts of the Bible. So this is part of the sexual matrix because what these two lights in the sky do need to reflect what these two rulers do here. And if they don't, the marriage is going to be compromised. That's why this is going to be very personal. We're going to talk about you, Mr. Sunlight, okay, with your moonlight woman. And that will be tomorrow. All right. Also, look at this. Verse 7. It says that the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life. The man became a living soul. Um, that word form is very important. It's the first time that it's mentioned in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. That's a different word. He made the firmament. There's different verbs that's being used. But here's what I want you to think about. Since uh, a couple of you are builders and um, construction workers, what do, you, what do you form first? You form a foundation. Okay? And where I'm going with this is that the man was formed. He was formed. And then something 
whenever he, whenever the woman came along, uh, I'll go and ask you this, get some interaction. Do, you, do any of y'all know the verb in the Hebrew translated into English that was used for the woman in her creation in Genesis 2? Do you, you want to take a guess? Any guess? Huh? Good. We got some people here that you're light years ahead of me. I thought I thought y'all would be. The, the woman, yeah. The man, and this is very critical with the language. That's where you can get the language in the in the Hebrew to help explain the pattern. The man is formed, and the woman is built upon the man in in a sense. So, what do you build? You build buildings. You build houses. You build these beautiful structures. And so where I'm going with this whole paradigm is the fact that God formed a man, uh, there's so much there to imply that the, the greatest virtue for this man that he's going to offer is strength. Strength in all of its forms. We're going to talk about this later. Okay? Uh, tomorrow. This is where I'm headed with this. The woman is built... It's a beautiful structure. And here, her great gift is sensitivity. Here you're going to have, we're going to see this tomorrow, in, in a, but there's, there's strength that he is offering and there's sensitivity that she is offering. This right here is the, the root issue of, of any marriage, the beauty of any marriage, the difficulty of any marriage, uh, the problems, all these things. And it's, uh, it's all there in Genesis 2. So let's move on. That's how the man, God did the man. And notice this. Let's look in verse 8. The Lord planted the garden eastward in, in-, in Eden. Okay, he put the man there. Let me stop right there. <clears throat> The Garden of Eden was on the east side, so when he kicked the man and woman out, they went eastward, and as soon as they got outside the garden, they were outside of Eden. Eden was a gateway. That was like, It was a barrier. It was a firmament type of thing. And this is interesting. What did he do with the man after he formed him? He did what? He put him in the garden. So was man created in the garden or outside the garden? Outside. Yeah, Adam is outside outside the garden. And then, we can see this later, whenever a woman comes along, she is inside. Her, her beginning point, her beginning point is more glorious. Her beginning point, where she starts, is inside the garden. Where he starts is outside. Okay. Um, I'm planting the seeds here that we're going to fertilize, we're going to grow, okay? But it's, and again, why does God form a man in the first place? Because he came out of the Adama to go to do what? There was no man to till the ground. Okay. Got to work. Um, let's move on to the next page. So you have the rivers there in verses 11 through 14 that's, that come out of the Garden of Eden from that spring that flows through the garden. Look at, look at in your page, verse 15, there are six jobs that he does good even before 
or including naming his wife. God took the man, put him in a garden to, to tend it and keep it. So he needs to start doing this. But also, God built that garden right in front of, in front of Adam. So Adam is watching God. That's what it says in <clears throat> um, verse 8, I think it was. It says he built the man, or he formed the man, built the garden, and then put Adam into the garden. So Adam is being educated. He's watching God do it. And then God says, Adam, now you do it. It's a father talking to his son, modeling what we're doing here. And so Adam goes into the garden because God put him there, and then he starts obeying. God said, don't eat of this tree. Did Adam run right away and eat the tree? No, he obeyed for a few hours. He's starting to obey. And then God says, let's go get you a helper. Let's look at the animals. So the helper, he's going to have to be with. There's going to be a companion uh, that he's going to have to care for implicitly there in verse 18. Then he names the animals in verses 19 through 20. Now think about this obedience. What if Adam would have looked at a cow and said, I'm going to name this one Yahweh. What would happen? Take a guess. Cast out, disqualified, you sin. That's what Aaron did, you know, uh, <laughs> later in the Bible. Here's a gold cow, and his name is Yahweh. Here's your, here's your Lord. Um, and here's what's important about this. In verse 19, God brought all the, all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air to him and, and brought them to Adam to see, to see what Adam would call them. God, as great as he is in love and everything, he's also watching Every time God sees something, he's inspecting. It's a judgment. When God said, the light is good, he's judging the light, diagnosing it, and, and justifying it as good. Okay, That's what Adam, God is doing. So Adam is, is meeting the, the judgment seat of God rightly here in the garden already. He's working. Uh, things are going along. The pattern is going, and we're getting all of history started here. Next thing Adam has got to do <clears throat> is give up himself. Now, God is doing this. He's going to take the side out of Adam. It's not a rib, just one little piece of rib. It's a side. It's a, that's literally the Hebrew there. It's, a rib is a side, so pe- people translate it as a rib, but it's a side. He took a side out of Adam, and Adam, whenever the woman's built, says, this is bone of my bones. It's plural there, implying that there was a couple of ribs that were taken, with flesh. So God took it. And so what God is doing here is demonstrating, Adam, if you want a woman, you have to give of yourself. Boys, if you want a woman to marry later, you're going to have to show. You're going to have to give of yourself. She's going to be to be attracted to you. Okay, this is what's going on. God is putting this marriage together. So Adam goes to this sacrifice. It's a type of death and resurrection with this sleep. Of course, it anticipates Jesus, and you can see all that. But what you see is the the reality of structural reality of sexuality. The initiative is coming from Adam. So God is so so God's showing, He's demonstrating that Adam, I'm going to take a piece of you. Adam, we're going to get a piece of you, and we're going to glorify it. And let me tell you this: that what God does, He takes from Adam, takes it away, builds it and brings her back. 
Now, follow the, follow the imagery here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. And I'm going to justify it even more tomorrow. And that is this. Whenever he took a piece out of Adam, God was symbolically taking that piece of Adam all the way to the end of history. In a symbolic and metaphorical sense, he took a piece, a side out of Adam, took it all the way to the end of history, and then he brought that piece of Adam all the way back. So you had this boomerang. The side of Adam goes all the way back, all the way over here, symbolically, metaphorically, and then comes back to Adam. Why am I saying that? Because she is going to be a sample. She is going to be a a testament or a sacrament or a picture or a symbol of the glory of the latter day. Okay. Now, let me go ahead and jump to the chase here a little bit. Let me ask you this question. How, how sensitive is God going to be on the final day of judgment? How sensitive? He is going to judge every single thought. Every single word. Every single tone. The sensitivity of God is infinite over here on the final day of judgment. And so, and that's also where God wants to bring everything to where it's glorified and it's delicate, it's beautiful. But what God does is He brings this sensitivity all the way back into the present tense on the first here and says, Adam, here's a sample of it. She's sensitive, she's glorious, and you think about that. I'm going to go ahead and probably jump to the chase here on a lot of stuff for tomorrow. And let me say this. You think about that. You approach a woman. You live with a woman. And it's like living with the final day of judgment all the time. Because you understand well. You say it the wrong way. You approach it the wrong way. And what does she do? She responds. She responds. The final day of judgment is God's response to everything that has happened here. And so you come home and you don't look good or whatever. You know, whatever. She responds to you. She's responsive. If your shoes don't match, she's going to respond to that. She's going to, you know, she's, you know, all these details. It's, 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 it's beautiful, it's glorious, but also it's humbling. Um, so, so there's a vertical axis of what God is doing. Watch this. He's got the, the man here, the woman here. The sunlight represents the man. The moonlight is representative of the woman. And let me ask you this question. Whose sunlight, who's, who's more glorious in this vertical dimension is obviously the sun. And in this vertical dimension, this is what you can call maybe a um, the... Who, they're two rulers, but there's a hierarchy of rulers. The, the man in this vertical dimension has more, man has more glory on the vertical dimension. He has more glory to give to this relationship. He has more of a responsibility on the vertical dimension to give to this relationship and to function in this manner. We're going to see how does this represent his function tomorrow. On the horizontal dimension, 
who has more glory? It's the woman. And so, I would do, this is a helpful word. This right here is about time. What God is doing with this marriage, He has taken the ends of history, the beginning of history and the ending of history, and symbolically bringing them together in a marriage. It's kind of like two sacraments at the end of history, bringing them together, alpha and omega, the beginning and the ending, male and female, um, and all that they represent. She, the woman, on the time spectrum, has more glory because of her sensitivity, her finesse, and where things are going in time. And there's a way in which these glorious parts, the vertical and the horizontal, come together to balance out and to contribute to one another. Um, and this right here, when we get to this tomorrow, is, is basically the foundation of the, sexual, of, the, of the sexual matrix of God. Now, let me go, move on a little bit here. When God puts them together, there's another matrix of how they're going to glue themselves together. And there's a circle that goes on. And they're being glued together in this matrix at the end of Genesis 2 and the beginning of Genesis 3. And Satan breaks that circle. He breaks it and pushes the other way, pushes the other direction. And here's what I'm explaining to y'all. Think about this. If this is high and this is low, what's the opposite of heaven? There's hell. And here's a a good sample where we're headed. The more this man and this woman reflect their, their roles up here and the trajectory of time and one another, the more this marriage will go in a heavenly direction. The dimmer his light, the dimmer her light, and if they don't glue themselves together rightly, the more it'll go into a hellish direction, end up in divorce. This is what I would call the heavenly, hellish matrix of marriage. Right here. And when you chew on all this, when we get to the details of this, tomorrow I am going to talk about the time aspect first. I want to talk about the complications of the woman coming from the future, so to speak, and the man coming from the past, or the first, so to speak, and the difficulties of that, uh, the challenges of that, especially for a man. And um, we're going to focus on that, on that tomorrow. That's going to be the second lecture, number two. The third lecture, or discussion, that we're going to talk about is up here. We're going to talk about the man's status. I'm going to talk about how do you keep that in a marriage? How do you maintain your sunlight more dominant than that moonlight? Um, and respect her more glory find out over there in, in, in this complexity. And then the, four, the last one, we're going to talk about the circle that's there and how it glues them together. Um, I love how, by the way, the, the passage in Genesis goes, starts off 
with this vertical dimension of heaven and earth coming together, and it ends in this other dimension of time coming together with God bringing the woman symbolically you know, to the future and back, back from the future, because she's the, the final glory. Uh, but that's where we're headed tomorrow. And so in your, in your handout, if you look at your handout, there is the summary of the sexual matrix on page 2. The man is formed by God. It implies foundational strength. That's going to be his gift to the relationship. He's formed outside the garden. That's going to, that's going to be a, a symbol of him over here. He's outside. He has to work forward, work forward, and she's already inside. Being inside the garden is a symbol of her latter-day glory. There's a finality to her at the beginning. There's not a finality to him at the beginning. So going from outside to inside is a symbol of grabbing time as well and pulling it together. The woman, the man is a masculine ruler in the sky. He's a son. He's formed for the ground. He then gives himself for the woman. We're going to talk about that. He's protological. That's a big word for the study of the beginning. She's built by God, implies her sensitive glory. Her sensitive glory. Uh, she's built inside the garden. There's a finality to that, implying again, she's basically from the future, so to speak. She's a feminine ruler in the sky. There's a delicacy. We're going to talk about the the how the, the light shine um, and the differences of that and what you learn from that. And also we're going to see more justification in the Bible for this paradigm tomorrow. And then, or this correlation, she's built after much work. There is a lot of work he does. The obedience, the naming. And we're going to see how there's a difference in the male and female in, as we look at this between appreciation and expectation. Appreciation and expectation. And a lot of that is, is, gonna, is like dynamite in a marriage whenever that doesn't fit well. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And she's the omega. She's the ending. Um, so I think that I hope I explain myself well, the trajectory for tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to get into the nitty-gritty details of, of how do you live with the future and how is her futureness expressed in her femaleness. Um, and then how do you maintain your sunlight? And why is that so important? And why, why, is, why does a woman need that? And to circle full back to where we began, this is why people make observations, pagan scientists, and they're looking at sexual dynamics and they're just seeing how females operate. And what I'm showing you is that God made this whole creation like the womb, the matrix, that's another word for womb, of, of sexuality. This is shining light and giving you light on, oh man, now I know my wife functions this way. Now I don't know why you know, she acts out like that whenever something... And this, now I know what I need to do whenever she does this. The, the, all the pieces of a marriage are, are being fit together here. Um, and it comes from a, a deep meditation and chewing on the Bible. Um, so I'll stop. I'll pause right now. Any questions? Y'all are... Too quiet for me. Nathan, go ahead. A thousand percent more involved. Yeah. 
Let me go ahead and jump into that, that part of the pond there. Um, a woman can feel things that you and I can't feel. They go into a room, and, you know, I feel, that guy's odd, they think, you know. They go into it, they, they feel uh, social contact so much better. It's called woman's intuition. Um, they are, um, you know, I, you can go to a locker room, and, and I, I grew up with four brothers, and I can talk to them, and like I talk with all y'all, and we can argue, whatever, and fight it out, you know, and be friends. A woman, dude, her, her, you can't talk to a woman like you talk to a man. She's, feelings are everywhere about her. That's what I'm getting in, into that. She is a, a feely creature. Um, so she's sensitive to color. Even she can pick up more color than male. Men are good at seeing things in the dark. Women are not. But they can pick up color better. better. Um, my next page, I have a list of little sensitivities of, of a female. Um, she, she's very, uh, we're going to talk about the nature of feminine is to respond. She's a responder. And she's responding to everything. You know, if I dress, don't, if I don't dress right, she, she responds to my, you know, y'all don't realize that, you know, my shoes don't really match my, my belt. My wife would have noticed that. Okay. It's stuff like that. Okay. Does that answer your question at all? I, I don't know if I'm getting, uh, I'm just trying, I'm speaking off the cuff here, but uh, she's not, we have feelings. We're sensitive. We show it in different ways, I guess. But, but she's, a lot of these character traits, we, um, let me say it this way. Yeah, we share some type of feminine qualities in this sense. We make judgments, you know, we have feelings. But she is all of that on steroids, you know. And she may initiate. She may, you know, go out and do a job and work hard. You know, but, but a man has more, it's, it's, um, it, it's kind of a, who has a, a more predominant role in, 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 these, in these qualities. Um, and this is a, a pattern. Uh, I wouldn't say that yeah, this is like a rule of thumb. You can always find exceptions to the rule. But as a rule of thumb is a pattern of how things are going to flow. That's where. And um, there, there's a, as tomorrow I want to say, men are, are oblivious and obvious. That's one of our fatal flaws as men. We're oblivious a lot of times. A woman is not. She can sense it. She can pick it up. And you are so obvious the way you were looking at it. You know, everybody saw it. You know, the women do this all the time. They see things. And, um, and, so, and so that's where I'm, I'm talking about the sensitivity. Any, is that, okay, any other questions? Formed. Uh, the word formed, if I remember correctly, can be used for, you know, he made this, he made this, or he formed it. You can form or make things. Sometimes the English word made or make is used to translate that word for form. Uh, in, the, in a lot of the English translations, the, for the word for build is bana. Not banana, but it's bana. And the English in the Genesis chapter 2 always translates it as, as made. God made the woman. God made the woman. Because it doesn't sound really good to say God built her. 
but but when you look at the banah later, you is, is banah you banah the tabernacle, you banah cities, you banah you build the temple. All that language it's it's a it's a it's a really distinct word for building. And so if that's if she's the building, and she needs to rest on the strength of the man, then that's just that's just beautiful right there. That's that, that, that's. Does that answer your question? Um, but yeah, bana is the word for building, and I, f- I forget really the Hebrew word for the form. But any other questions before we are? I don't want to take up your time too much. Yeah. Good question. Uh, I think a larger question is: Is how much did the fall affect uh, the sexual matrix, the man and the woman? So, <clears throat> I think what you have here is that there's still we're still made in the image of God. The fall disables. The fall corrupts. The man is kind of if a man is lazy, you know, he's not initiating. That's where you see a an aspect where he's not doing what he ought to be. If she's not bringing her glory to relationship, that's where, you know, so the fall definitely does corrupt this whole thing together, but I do not think that it, that it negates all of it. And number two, redemption does not negate this either. Redemption helps you fulfill this. Redemption helps you do this, okay? And if you study the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon is up here, Okay. <laughs> Their marriage is in the heaven of heavens, all right, because it is really about God and His church. So, to answer your question, I I don't think at all there's any evidence in the text whatsoever that her feminine nature is altered by the fall with sensitivity. I think she's still sensitive. It's just that what God, what Satan does is he's going to use things that God gives and pervert it or distort it. Uh, Satan really doesn't. Dis- uh, totally erase something, he just imbalances it. Two things that Satan will always want to do. Make something out of balance or out of bounds. Always. And the way he destroys marriages is a lot of this just simply gets out of balance. And does that answer your question? Uh, So we're dealing with the structure of reality and while we still function this way and 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 I guess grace helps us do this the way God designed originally. Yes, Randy? Exactly. Right. You're right. Your, your diagnosis of the whole culture is to overthrow the matrix here. The culture is trying to say that, we, yeah, you, you're right. And this is why I think this is uh, very appropriate for our day and age, especially in America. So, uh, you know, going against this is like cutting your hand, going against a buzzsaw. You know, it, 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 it's just going to tear you up. This is why transgenders, if you go from one to the other, it's, they have to do a form of suicide. They have to kill a part of their body. They have to kill 
a part of themselves and, and try to you know, glorify themselves or something like that with transgender. And it's sad. Um, challenge is, is we live in this, we live in the matrix. We live in a bubble of the matrix, and it's a created matrix. It's a beautiful matrix, and it's not up for free will. It's not up for free. You can't just get out of it unless you destroy yourself. And that's really what God is showing in this pattern here. Thank you, Randy. Uh, any other thought on that? Physical difference, exactly. That's why the the transgender issue is really a costume contest. They they disfigure themselves and get a costume, but all their DNA is is wired as they were born. Um, mm-hmm. This is the DNA of humanity. This is the, like the, all the, the mate symbolism is why I'm, why I'm using that term. This is the womb of humanity. The two cells come together in a womb and the matrix is set. And that's why you have blonde hair and the way you look the way you do is because the way the cells are put together in the matrix of the womb, now you're birthed out. And, that's, and so what God does on the, the small scale of conception, He does on the big scale of, of reality. There's a sliding scale from the great to the small, macro to the micro. Um, I'll tell you this another thing too. This this is a firmament. Is a barrier when Christ united heaven and earth. The firmament was removed, so to speak. The veil was rent, and heaven and earth come together. This is why women, when they get married, there's a little firmament inside of them. So when the marriage is consummated, there is some bloodshed. And there is a picture of the rent, of the severing of heaven and earth. The marriage of heaven and earth is symbolized by the marriage of the man and the woman. From the micro to the macro. This is how beautiful God is. Any other questions? I think uh, the challenge with Hebrew is context is king uh, with nouns and verbs, you know, whether it's past tense, present tense, and context is king. And so you can you probably get a lexicon and see different places where the form is mentioned. And I looked it up briefly, and it's, it's just he, he forms a lot of things. It's a lot of things out there that are formed. But the bana is really focusing on the uh, structures so that's the best I can remember about the two different. Do you have a thought? Yeah, he's forming that.
Right. He formed the dirt and then blew in the nostrils. Um, any other questions? All right. Um, we'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Randy, right? Okay, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the illumination of your word, how it shines throughout reality and our existence and and, and gives us patterns to follow. And we pray, Father, that you'll be with our, our culture, our country, and give them your word and spirit, Lord, and bring them to Christ Jesus in faith. In Christ's name we pray, amen.